The views, information, or opinions expressed in this episode are solely those of individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, our funders, or any of the organizations affiliated with this project. Welcome to a Seeds of Wellbeing Experts in the Field podcast, featuring people working in their fields of expertise to provide support for agriculture producers in Hawaii, in the United States, and in some cases around the world. These podcasts are made possible by a grant from the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, also known as CETAR, and the Seeds of Wellbeing, or SO project, and is supported by a grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture, and the Hawaii Department of Agriculture. A word that comes to my mind when I think about our agriculture is apocalyptic. It's that the plantation system wiped away a totally sustainable indigenous cropping system and replaced it uh, with a very more brutal uh, corporate version of it. And then that collapsed uh, recently, you know, like in the 90s. And the strategy was, well, maybe we'll set up kind of this more um, family farm system and it hasn't really taken hold. What I, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of farmers' household budgets and tax returns, and there's a portion of them that you're like, wow, good for you. You're doing what you found a niche, work it. And then there's just 90% of the rest of them where it's, they're really having a hard time holding it together. Um, if your sales are CSA, if you're a market garden, um, if you're doing that farm stand, restaurant sales kind of work, it can really be sometimes difficult for those traditional lenders to understand the true value of your business and the economic potential you have with what you're doing. So those are the kinds of opportunities where for Steward, we really try to get to know the farms that we're working with and understand how their business is going to operate in a more nuanced way. In this episode, we speak with Ryan Anderson from Steward Lending and Eric Bowman from both the Kohala Center Business Services team and loan officer for Feed the Hunger Fund, about financial assistance available to and focused on ag producers. Now let's hear what they have to say about funding options for Hawaii's ag producers. One of the top stressors for Hawaii ag producers is related to finances. You know, finances, big and small, where do you get funds if you need them? Are there grants available? Things like that. So thanks, thanks again to both of you for being on for this interview and, and to share what you know about solutions for our ag producers. Eric, if you want to start with a quick introduction of who you are and your background and, and what your role is in, in ag in Hawaii. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, um, participate in this conversation with you. Uh, I work at the Kohala Center, which is based in Waimea. We work around the, around the islands. Uh, my primary role, I'm part of a team, a business services team, and uh, my, my primary role is supporting the, um, the financing of um, small owner operators in the food and agriculture space. So a lot of farmers and ranchers that I, I work with directly. We're also a micro lender. And then I also work as a loan officer for Feed the Hunger Fund. And I have a portfolio of clients uh, whom I've supported access debt capital, and um, at least one of which has relied on Steward. And so I heard Steward once refer to itself as a, um, I'm say non-exclusive, collaborative lending partner. And I think we, we view ourselves that, that same way, that we will frequently put a small loan into, a, into an operation with the intent of kind of grooming them onto larger and bigger sources of commercial debt. And with, I would say that's like a big component of what I do, but wrapped around all that is a real focus on technical assistance as kind of coaching and consulting the farm owners and operators to um, whatever their challenge might be, particularly as it re- relates to capitalization and um, management, financial management and that kind of stuff, understanding their finances, business planning. That's great. Thanks, Thank Jim. you. And when and you're you said the Kohala Center and you are on the Big Island of Hawaii, but you you provide these services throughout all the islands, or is it focused on a certain territory or region? Correct. Well, I, I would I would say Armoku is North Kohala. Uh, that's our home. Uh, that's where we're located. We have probably eighty percent of our clients are on Hawaii Island, but that might just be more uh, re- related to our network and proximity. But we get resources from the USDA and the State Department of Ag and Ulupono uh, to provide uh, technical assistance uh, throughout the islands. On, just on a personal note, I've worked 
uh, with clients on Molokai, Lanai, and um, Kauai. It's probably the least active on Oahu, but that's just more a function of the economy there. Got it. Thanks so much. Um, Ryan, please share a little bit about your background and, and what you do with Steward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jim, Eric, thank you for having me. I'm Ryan Anderson. I'm the Senior Vice President of Services at Steward. Now, sadly, not based in Hawaii. Um, I'm in Portland, Oregon. Um, and Steward, um, you know, in a nutshell, our mission is really to help human scale regenerative farmers grow successful businesses. Um, uh, sort of the biggest service that we're providing folks at this point in time is financing. Um, we are a private commercial lender providing loans um, to support small farms and food businesses in the regenerative agriculture community. Um, and then in addition to that, um, we're really um, seeing a lot of need for additional support that goes along with um, that lending. Anytime you're going to be taking on debt, um, you obviously want to make sure that you're doing so responsibly and that you're really managing that liability um, properly. And so we're providing a lot of additional um, business support services, technical assistance um, to our borrowers. Um, and then in addition to providing loans ourselves, um, also looking at uh, alternative financing options and ways that we can support our borrowers there. Um, so we're also writing USDA grant applications um, sourcing um, different opportunities um, with folks just to try to round out um, the financial support that we can provide um, to our customers. There's some similarities there between what Eric describes he works on and, and what you say you and Stuart do. Maybe Eric, you know Stuart well enough to, to know this. And there's this whole spectrum of of loans and, and grants and, and funds that are available to ag producers in Hawaii. Um, do you have a sense of, of what, maybe just a quick review of what those are from small to large, and then maybe where Stuart fits into that mix? Absolutely. That's a really good question, Jim. And, you know, I'll, I'll even I'll preface your preface with a, a comment that, you know, agriculture is very capital intensive in a way that I think a lot of beginning farmers and ranchers don't quite realize. And um, frequently farmers and ranchers are managing an intergenerational asset over time. So in Hawaii, um, as you and I have chatted chat about before, people are coming in kind of under-resourced to an ag sector that requires a lot of investment. We don't have the sort of systems and um, infrastructure that would exist in um, like, a, like a, another Pacific Rim state, such as Oregon, uh, where, 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 where Ryan's going in from. Um, and so kind of with that in mind, uh, you know, farming takes a lot of cash, right? And so I would say there's a whole collection of like entry level cash that's small amounts to kind of either tackle a project or to, um, how do I say, um, just kind of keep, keep, keep something moving all the way up to, you know, commercial real estate acquisition, expansion, expansion financing, infrastructure, um, in, 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 for infrastructure development. And so a lot of my time is spent at that very bottom rung with people who are um, disadvantaged, vulnerable, low income, whatever you, you might want to categorize it as they're, they're just getting started. Uh, maybe they don't have the cash flow and the asset or equity base to really leverage uh, as collateral. So as with that in mind, uh, I, we the Kohala Center it represents Kiva. So we do some micro lending on Kiva, we do a couple of those a month that Averages about eight thousand, or maxes out at about fifteen thousand. I like to say if there's a ladder, that's for people whose legs are really short. Then the next rung up would be uh, slow money, feed the hunger, probably steward. You know, people who need you know more like twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, uh, working for working capital or equipment purchasing. And then, and I'm, I'm hoping Ryan can can add on to this when I'm when I'm just about another second here, and then I'll be then I'll shut up finally. And then adding on top of that, there would be um, the USDA. So they have both. They do micro lending and they do working capital loans and they do farm acquisition loans. Their um, their farm acquisition loans cap out about six hundred thousand, which you know most of the country farmland is about ten thousand dollars an acre. Here it's like ten times that. So. Uh, that doesn't go as far here as it does throughout the rest of the continent. 
uh, Continental US. And then the probably the number one largest lender to ag is American Ag Credit, what used to be called Hawaii uh, Farm Credit. It's part of the Farm Credit S Services, uh, which is a network of um, borrower managed co-ops around the country. So they're, they're, they're definitely, like if you're gonna buy a, a, a large farm and you have revenue and you're probably bankable, they are, uh, they're, they're probably your first stop. If you get a denial from farm credit, American Ag Credit, then you probably go to the USDA. If you have some issues going on, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, somebody down in the uh, YPO Valley, uh, for Ryan's benefit, it was wiped out by a tsunami. It's unclear where where boundaries are, it's difficult at times to get a clear title because there might not be road access. So, you know, traditional lender is going to look at that and be like, I can't, what are we supposed to do here? You know, so then they called, they called some of those more alternative community development financial institution lenders to be like, hey, can you guys take a look at this? Um, so I would say there's a range of options. And it, even though it might sound like there's a ton of, a, a ton of them out there, uh, they each kind of have their own specialty and there's kind of a limited scope. Um, for, for, for where people kind of play. I would be curious how I was maybe off or where you could see uh, Stuart fitting well, into that, Ryan. I think that's a good uh, description of the landscape. Uh, so thank you. Um, but Stuart really um, operates at all of those scales. Um, so our smallest loans, we've done loans for $5,000 for new and beginning farmers who are really just starting out. Um, we just a month ago, completed a loan for $1.4 million to a project in Vermont um, to expand their agritourism business on a regenerative grazing sheep farm. Um, and so we really, um, when you're looking at the sort of dollar amounts there, um, we're active at all of those ranges and can serve customers anywhere um, from, you know, those small beginners all the way up to really experienced operators with um, large operations. Um, I think the thing that really distinguishes Steward from that other cohort is, you know, one, you know, we're a certified B corporation. We're a mission-driven lender who's really focused on providing that support to sustainable and regenerative farmers. And so, um, you know, we're looking specifically at the ag practices and the regenerative practices of those farms to make sure um, that we're having the right kind of impact in our lending. Um, and then also we're really focused on understanding where there's value in regenerative agriculture in a way that farm credit or the USDA um, just aren't there yet. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that you sort of bring up farm credit uh, now, Ag America Services. Um, when I was farming um, back in Detroit, I was a tiny urban farmer in Detroit. Um, and when I was looking to buy land and expand, I went to the farm credit agency in Michigan to have that first conversation and see about getting funding. Um, and there are just ways that those institutions don't understand regenerative agriculture. Um, and so, you know, I think relevant to Hawaii, they had an issue with land prices. As you can imagine, the land prices in the city are more expensive than the rural uh, average in the United States. And so they were uncomfortable with a mortgage where you know there's value in the property. You could resell it also at that higher price, um, but they were bound by um, a pretty strict analysis on those prices. Um, similarly with uh, you know, the cost of the items that you're selling. Um, as you go through the lending process, one of the things that a lot of lenders are going to be asking you for um, in various forms is a pro forma, right? Some sort of document showing your anticipated sales, your anticipated expenses into the future. Um, and one of the key sort of aspects as you put that together is what's the price I'm going to get for the agricultural products that I'm selling. And when I was purchasing property, you know, my, my customer base was restaurants. And so the carrots that I was selling, I could get, you know, three, even $4 a pound for carrots. They were, you know, beautiful, multicolored. I'm selling it to restaurants that are featuring it as a key item on the menu. So I'm getting a really good price. Um, but those uh, farm credit institutions 
could only underwrite based on the idea that it was a commodity product, a carrot, at you know a dollar a pound or less. I think it was like 80 cents a pound was the commodity price for carrots at that point in time. And in their perspective, that's like the clearance price of carrots. If you just have to unload your harvest that year, you can sell it as a commodity for 80 cents. And so that's what they wanted to value my productive capacity for carrots in the future. Whereas the real price I was getting was three and four times um, as much. And you see that a lot with smaller producers, people who are doing diversified vegetable operations. Um, if your sales are CSA, if you're a market garden, um, if you're doing that farm stand, um, restaurant sales kind of work, um, it can really be sometimes difficult for those traditional lenders to understand the true value of your business and the economic potential you have um, with what you're doing. So those are the kinds of opportunities where for Steward, you know, we really try to get to know the farms that we're working with and understand how their business is going to operate um, in a more nuanced way than farm credit or USDA is going to be able to. So if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like to use Eric's metaphor, it sounds like you're all up and down that, that ladder yeah. <laughs> that yeah. he described. And, and at, at the same time, you're kind of side by side with, with the ag producer, very much like, like Eric, as it sounds like. There's a couple of terms, I guess, I'd, I'd like to ask you to define a little, a little for me. Terms like regenerative, regenerative I'll try to say it again, regenerative, <laughs> you know, words like organic get tossed around and natural, you know, regenerative is, is kind of a catchphrase to some, I think. Um, yep. But I, I think that would be interesting to know. Human scale, you, you've mentioned. Um, so, and actually, maybe the simpler one is certified B Corp. I'm kind of curious what, what we should take away from, from that phrase or, or from that term, cert, certified B Corp as yep. well as kind of human scale, regenerative farmer. What, what, what does that mean? Okay, let me try to run through that. So B Corp is easy. Um, that's a certification from B Labs. Um, and this is basically uh, just a designation that demonstrates the social commitment of the business um, that you're running. So B Corporations are pursuing a social benefit in addition to profit. And you know, elevating the the value of that impact and the importance of that sort of social impact on their mission. Um, so, you know, in our case, that's supporting regenerative agriculture. Um, we have a definition of regenerative agriculture, our regenerative framework at Steward. It runs four pages, so I'm not going to uh, get into all of the details um, on that. Um, but you know. At a, at a top level, there's really two key aspects. One, um, for us, we see regenerative agriculture as a philosophy that really acknowledges the harm that has been done by conventional agriculture. And then it's a set of practices that are aimed at repairing that damage. Um, and we're looking specifically, you know, everyone um, I think has a lot of familiarity with the environmental aspects of that equation and thinking about the way that pesticides are bad for biodiversity, uh, it's killing the soil health, um, there's a lot of negative impacts there. And similarly, you know, when we're talking about um, not using synthetic chemicals, using no-till, low-till practices, you know, using regenerative grazing, um, you know, all sorts of those, you know, silvopasture, uh, alley cropping, those kinds of practices, there's an environment, environmental benefit to that. Um, we also really wanna make sure that when we're talking about regenerative agriculture, we're also looking at systems that are regenerative and restorative for individuals like the farmers who are running that operation, um, the employees, the labor practices that are being utilized, um, as well as communities, right? We wanna make sure that these small farms and these regenerative operations are providing uh, a better uh, input and sort of impact on their local communities than uh, the conventional system does. <clears throat> I don't know if you happened to see just today, actually, Food and Water Watch put out um, a really amazing report on 
uh, pork production in the state of Iowa. And they did the research to really show how between early 80s and you know, 2017, um, there was this concentration in the pork industry in Iowa. And the result of that concentration, the counties that had the highest number of uh, pigs in the county and the most concentrated operations also saw the steepest reductions in household incomes and jobs in the county and population in the county. And so there really is this direct connection between the size and scale and type of farming operation you have and the actual health of that local community and what the economic vibrancy um, looks like. And so we're really looking at all of those aspects um, when we talk about uh, regenerative agriculture. Um, and then I guess uh, human scale, um, you know, we don't have a hard bright line on like what exactly that is, but it's really the idea that this is a farm that's being run by the people who are on the farm. And this isn't uh, an operation where you've got a landlord who owns, you know, 100,000 acres across a couple of states um, trying to incorporate one practice as greenwashing. It's not, you know, the commodity production monoculture um, that you see. It's really people who are farmers farming their land is where our focus is. So what's your reaction to that, Eric? I mean, it, it strikes me that, that a large percentage of the folks that you might work with or that are farming in Hawaii would fall into those categories. But what's your take on it, Eric? I agree with that sentiment, Jim. Um, you know, just on a personal note, um, I, I grew up in um, what was agricultural part of Virginia uh, and lived there for 20 years. And then I moved to Washington State where, where I lived and worked for 20 years, primarily in, in the rural rural areas. And I, I interacted a little bit with agriculture in Oregon and Washington. And, I've, and, I've, and that, during that time, I about 10 years ago, I started working here and now I've lived in Hawaii for about four years. So what, what, I, the, what I see, the similarities, agriculture in Hawaii feels like a timber town in the Pacific Northwest that's closed. You know, and I live where I live on the Hamakua coast, we've lost about 10% of our population per decade since the seventies. And I've seen these towns in Eastern Washington, they're basically just hollowed out by, um, uh, in, by consolidation and mechanization. So kind of what, kind of, kind of what Ryan's talking about, what, what has happened in agriculture in general is the middle's gone. We have like these super struggling small landowners. And then there's these like, like a mega dairy that's uh, owned by investors and there's 80,000 cows in it. And it's a nightmare for the environment, for the workers and um, for the animals. And so I, I appreciate what the, that, that there's a pool of capital that's focusing on this. I mean, our, at the risk of maybe taking this a little too far, you can, you can cut this out later if you want, Jim, but I mean, our ability to survive on this planet as a species is going to depend on what we do with agriculture. And a lot of what we do in agriculture is going to depend on the economics of it. And so, you know, maybe a little more for, for, for Ryan's benefit is, you know, a lot of people here know this, but it, it, it isn't lost on me when I think about agriculture in other parts of the world is it's like we're far from markets, inputs are expensive. The tropical products that we produce, we're competing with, you know, um, underdeveloped companies, countries like Vietnam and Cambodia or wherever else they would grow pineapple and sugarcane. And the way it's like, you know, it's very unique in terms of its relationship to the, to the, to the American economy. And I final my final comment. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit here. Where I see farmers being successful here is similar to where I see farmers being successful in in Washington, in Washington Oregon. I talk, I talk to a rancher, thousands of acres, family owned, cattle, wheat, timber, and he's they had a they had a they had a, they had a, a, a cabin on a hill that overlooked their valleys, where the you know very picturesque up up kind of Wallowa, that kind of you know kind of like the Blue Hills towards Idaho and um, they would do, so they would do bread and breakfast and they would host weddings. Mm -hmm. And then he said the, the thing that made them profitable, because, you know, a lot of ranching is lifestyle, but the thing that made them profitable was they would fill up a couple tractor trailers with firewood and drive it into Portland, Oregon. And it's just like, my God, you have that asset pretty much debt free inherited. Uh, and like, it takes that many business activities to become 
viable. It's like we're, I mean, the food system's under real strain. So that's what I see farmers here. The ones that are successful have like a rental property. They're, they're hosting a bed and breakfast. They're doing farm tours. They're doing tastings. They're doing an event. They're, they're doing something that's beyond just, you know, for us, it's, you know, what's it's flowers and, and not cattle, but calves. We ship, we ship a lot of calves to, to, to Washington and Oregon. So I guess here's a scenario I'm just going to throw out. I'll just, I'll talk from being someone that, that lives and farms on a piece of property that used to be sugarcane. It was over, over farmed with sugarcane for many years. I started by bringing in cattle to help, help with the soil. I have horses grazing as well to keep the grass down as well as to, to help improve the soil. I have soil that I'm, I'm trying to, that I'm amending. I created compost piles. I'm doing all that. I have chickens. I have a multitude of crops I'm growing. So it, it sounds like if I need a loan, I might be a good candidate for, for what you folks target for human scale regenerative farms. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume that you have more than three years of experience as an operator. Um, and, you know, I think that your commitment to sort of repairing that property is really admirable. And the way that you're going about sort of in stages, restoring um, what should be there and undoing that damage, I think is really smart. Um, we would really want to take a look at, you know, do you have the experience and background and do you have the technical support that you might need to do that transition? I think probably yes, um, you're a pretty good farmer. Um, and then the other thing is we really want to understand, you know, what's your business strategy? Um, debt is something that has to be repaid. And so it's not the right tool for every funding need that you might have. It's really going to be best used when you can see how taking that debt and, and acquiring that funding can really change the financial picture um, for your business. And so making sure that those funds are being targeted at activities that can improve your bottom line, improve that cash flow, is really where debt is going to be the most useful answer and the right tool um, for you. So we would just want to go through, you know, what are your plans for the future? You've got cattle, you've got horses, you're improving the quality of this soil. What's next year look like? What's the year after that? Are you going to, you know, by repairing this property, be able to support more animals on this? Is your income from selling the cattle going to go up? Um, things like that. Great. So it's, it's again, you partner with uh, ag producer as yeah. Um, as kind of a business partner. And, and it sounds like there's a focus on return on investment, really. Um, so which is, in my mind, is, it feels unique. But, uh, you know, Eric, maybe that happens all the time. I, I'm used to providing balance sheets and income statements and cash flows to finance or to lenders. But I've, I've not really heard that question uh, or that concept of working with me as, as the recipient to determine what the return on investment is for that okay. loan. We're, we take a different approach than most people. Um, certainly, we can look at your balance sheet and your past performance and the sort of like bottom line easiest way of diligencing that lending is to simply look and say, you've already got the cash flow. So even if this investment in your business accomplishes zero additional revenue, you're already financially stable enough and you've got the money to be able to pay us back. And that is a, an approach to lending that a lot of banks, the USDA, farm credit um, are really relying on. The problem is if you're a new operator, if you're still building a business, if you didn't inherit that family farm, um, there are a lot of challenges to be able to do that. In order to have cash flow, you need the investment in, right? And so we really wanna look at sort of not only what that past performance is, but can we, work with you and develop a relationship and get comfortable with the idea that, you know, with this loan, you'll be able to do the things that are going to drive future revenue growth. And that's where those uh, loan payments are going to come from. That's great. That's helpful. Perhaps if you could share some funding use cases for farming, ranching, agritourism, land acquisition, things like that, it might be useful for, for us to hear that spectrum of, of scenarios that you've funded. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I just mentioned sort of earlier um, the uh, loan that we just um, closed a month or two ago um, for $1.4 million. That was for agritourism in the state of Vermont, um, working with a really fantastic company, Studio Hill. Um, and uh, Jesse and Caroline inherited this four-generation family property, um, but the soil quality had been pretty degraded. Um, and they started regenerative grazing of sheep on the property to improve that soil quality and, you know, make, make this improvement to the, the family asset and, and this heritage that they'd had. Um, but, you know, financially, in order to be able to continue owning all of this land, they're not wealthy individuals, you know, little land rich cash poor, they needed to be able to find a way to keep that in the family and not have to sell it off. And so um, they've really built out not only um, the sheep grazing and that side of the uh, business, um, but also uh, agritourism. And so through Steward, um, they were able to access the financing to make improvements to some of their initial properties, um, to buy adjacent properties, uh, and turn those into uh, Airbnb stays is where you can find Studio Hill. Um, and it's a really uh, great example of how agritourism can be such an important component of regenerative agriculture. Um, I, I, I think we don't talk enough about the fact that, you know, 90% of farms in the United States are relying on off-farm income in order to pay the bills. Um, farming is a difficult business. You're not making a ton of money. Um, and there are a lot of ways um, the economics of agriculture in this country um, are really messed up and have become unfavorable to small independent farmers. And agritourism is this great way to bring in that outside income and help you preserve um, that land and conserve that environmental quality. You know, uh, Studio Hill, they're actually expanding the acreage that they have. They're expanding the size of their sheep herd um, in part because they have this agritourism to be able to support that. Um, and it's a really great compliment. You know, people love to stay on farm in that Airbnb and you look out and it's not a 7-Eleven across the street. You know, it's not some suburban development across the street. It's the beautiful rolling hills of Vermont covered in these beautiful sheep. Um, so, you know, that's on the, the sort of large side. Um, we also do a lot of work with smaller scale um, sort of diversified vegetable operations. We also relatively recently um, were lucky enough to work with uh, the Williams Vegetable Farm down in Louisiana. And uh, that's a really fantastic story of, you know, Robert and Gwendolyn, um, they used to be in farming. Um, they left, they were plaintiffs in the Pigford cases. Their experiences with discrimination at USDA really um, drove them out of agriculture for a while. And they wanted to get back into to farming. And so with uh, financing from Steward, they purchased property um, from members of their family, five acres. It used to be conventional soy production. They're turning it into community focused regenerative vegetable production in that community to actually serve their friends and family and neighbors. Um, and it's just been such a great opportunity for us um, to provide support to them and to be able to work with them on that transition, right? And be able to take that land out of conventional production and do something better with it um, that's gonna be healthier for that environment and serve their community a lot better. Um, and I think, so, um, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I think some yeah. of these, Stories are available on your website as well. I think, yes, um, yes. Are they? Am I One right? Of the that you can see um, on our website, which is actually maybe a great um, transition. Uh, one of the things, the way that Steward provides this financing, we're doing what are called participated loans, um, and so for all of these projects, you can go to our website, and if you look through previously funded, you can see you know pictures of the producers and the description of that opportunity. Um, and what, one of the things that makes us unique, um, we're doing a lot of things differently, but one of the things is um, each of these loans are uh, available for people in our network and the farms network to be able to actually provide that capital and lend into it. 
Um, and so it's not a, it's not a gift. It's not, you know, a sort of online crowdsourced kind of free money activity. Um, but people uh, who are in our network now, we've got, you know, thousands of lenders that participate, um, friends and family of the farmers can come in and actually provide that loan. And they're the ones to get that interest. So when we do a loan, uh, if that's a 7% interest rate on uh, the lending to the farm, that 7% interest doesn't come to steward. It goes to the friends and family and the individual people who actually made that financing possible. At 7%, is that a pretty typical percentage that you see? We're, we're ranging anywhere from five to 10%, depending on, you know, a number of factors. Um, but six, 7% um, is pretty standard for us. And can you share a little bit more maybe about Steward's mission, how it was formed, why? I mean, this model seems to be very different from any that I've worked with personally. And I think many folks are used to from lending institutions. Um, perhaps I'm just out of touch, but, but to me, it's pretty unique. Um, yeah. And so I was just kind of curious how and why Steward was formed. Yeah, we, uh, <clears throat> Steward was founded uh, in 2016 and um, our founder, Dan Miller, he has um, just an amazing background in financing. Um, and his family, you know, they generations back um, had been farming on the eastern shore of Maryland. And he, you know, after some time, really wanted to take what he knows about lending and financing and financial products and put it to service um, for the values that he has as a person. And that was really supporting small farmers. Um, and it is through um, conversations that he had with small scale farmers and chefs um, in the mid-Atlantic region that he really came to understand that there was this uh, gap in what is available, right? If you're a small farmer starting out, um, if you're a human scale farmer, if you're doing practices that are regenerative and outside that conventional ag model, um, those traditional lenders are not serving you well. Um, it is much harder to get that loan from USDA, much harder to get that local bank to serve you um, if you're not buying chemicals and spraying them on the dirt. And so uh, he really saw this opportunity to take that skill set and create this opportunity um, for regenerative agriculture. Well, I think it's great. But Eric, tell me if I'm, am I wrong in thinking that this is unique and, and rare, or are you seeing more of these types of structures um, out there from others? I think Stuart definitely fills a unique role. Uh, I can't think actually of anything comparable in terms of what it's doing. Uh, you know, just a side note, I recently looked into it for a, a small business development center presentation, just crowdfunding in general, they wanted me to speak about it because we're, we're very active on Kiva, which is similar in that it's a loan participation, except that it's capped at a very small amount and they can't do more than, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty unique in terms of uh, the, the market that they're, that, that they're serving. Whereas I think uh, Stewart is, is much more scalable and um, Kiva is adamant about not charging interest. Uh, which, which, which makes it, you know, for, I'm a lender on Kiva participating 25 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, but I'm not going to put in $10,000 and I'm not going to expect Kiva to manage like uh, collections if there, if there, if there's collateral involved, for example. So it, it, it's really playing in a very different type of um, focus for, for, for where capital wants to be deployed. You know, just a caveat that there's been a plethora of these crowdfunding websites that have been starting up in recent years because of some of the regulations that have been have evolved about how how just how do we get not accredited investors supporting the local economy. So I think they might be part of a bigger trend, but definitely I can't think of anything comparable, frankly. And I can't think, I mean, there's lenders that are interested in lending into regenerative act, like they would like to do it. I, I think that's been a focus for um, a lot of the people who want to see agriculture get developed in the state. But, you know, speaking for the, the you know, my one experience with them, uh, with like shift two experiences, I, I know somebody who, who got something, to, a loan for them in Oregon. But both of those borrowers probably would not have received access 
um, to debt financing elsewhere. One nuance that I want to add to Ryan, I mean, there's like no local banks here play in agriculture. We have a very conservative banking sector here and it's, it's pretty much a non-starter. I mean, they'll lend to a farmer who also has off-farm income and is maybe doing well and might need a, a mortgage, like something like credit card, line of credit, you know, from a consumer financial perspective, they're, they're whatever, you're just another customer, but they're, they're, you know, they're not very active in business lending in general. Uh, and then they tend to be a little bit more conservative than what you might expect from um, that sector, from like, for example, Bank of America or, so, so on, in a, you know, or like Umqua Bank, you know. So these banks that are, are a little bit more dynamic in terms of getting out there. And I'm not trying to disparage the banking sector here. I think there's a lot of good people involved. I think there's just, there's, um, we've had a lot of bad years in agriculture. You know, we get a new pest a month. We're in hurricane. You know, I think everybody has seen the failures. I think they're just, they've been burned so many times that they're not eager to get out there and, and play in that, in that sector, just to be frank. And we don't have traditional commodities to your, to exactly your point. I mean, I was just over here nodding my head when you're talking about carrots. Um, and we, we barely even have that level of um, perspective when even, even carrots are really specialty. So like corn, soy, wheat, you know, there's a, there's a bank in a small town in the Midwest that knows exactly how much a bushel of wheat will, or corn or soy can be sold for and how many bushels you can get per acre in what part of the County. And there's, we're just, we're a little teeny volcano out in the middle of the Pacific with a desert and rainforest on it. And you drive a quarter of a mile in one direction, you're in different climate zone. So it's, there just isn't that consistency to agriculture like you would find. elsewhere. And that, I mean, Right. That really touches on it right there that you don't have that commodity production in the state and traditional agriculture financing is designed to facilitate commodity production. So if you don't have all of those commodity producers, the banks don't think that there's anybody for them to serve and the, the, the tools that they have at their disposal for agriculture are a mismatch for what's actually happening on the island. Um, and, and sort of where you want to be having that impact. And I think finance has gotten more and more um, mechanized, standardized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, had a, I, had a, I, had a, I worked for many years with somebody who was from, a, I don't even want to say which one, a small town in Eastern Washington. And, you know, it was like the wheat farmers would have cousins working in the bank and they'd call up and need some money. And, oh, I know. Oh, my God, you yeah, of course. Let's do this. Bring in your numbers and we'll take a look at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her, her bank was merged something like five times. I can't, I think it was like five times in two years. And it got to the point where, you know, they were calling in notes and farmers would come in in their boots and overalls. And they, they just pointed a phone and be like, you, you got to call Chicago to find out what we can do for you. They literally had suicides on their staff because uh, they were, they were, they, they were, it was just so excruciating for these banks, you know, banking, Banking wasn't like this 20 years ago, 40 years ago, like it's changed. And I feel like the need for what the work that I do and what Ryan does, it's, it's, it's a reaction to uh, that, 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 that same consolidation that's occurred in, in um, the, in agriculture where it's become not human scale. I would say financing has very much become not human scale so that you, you know, a lot of the lenders that are interested in ag, are willing to be in that relationship, hear your story, and then realize that they're going to be they're going to be paying attention to you over over time. Yeah, yeah. Interesting parallel there uh, with how agriculture has been morphing. Is maybe it's not a concerted refuge, Jim. It's not a coincidence. Yes, right. Exactly. One thing that, that we didn't touch on, Ryan, is how does uh, how does Steward stay in business and make its money? You have a like a structure to your lending because it sounds like I could invest or, or others could invest in. And some of the loans that you're giving out and and get some of the revenue from that but is there a percentage that's held back by steward i mean i'm, I'm now i'm yeah. concerned that i want to make sure steward stays around for a long time so <laughs> we hope we stay around for a long time uh, so our funding in every loan there is what's called an origination fee and you'll see this you know whether it's ag america or bank of america or any lender there's always an origination fee um, we're charging a 3% origination fee, and that's the money that actually stays with Steward and pays for us to provide these services and do the work um, of underwriting it. We're not taking um, any of that ongoing interest rate every month that's charged. That's going all to the lenders who put up that capital. Um, and so um, 
we, we think it's a good model. Um, we think it's a really great way to, uh, you know, incentivize the lenders to participate in that, um, make it easy for our borrowers to also sort of talk to their community about this, right? Like you can go to your grandma or to that guy at the church and say, hey, you know, I'm doing a Kickstarter and they'll give you a couple hundred bucks maybe. Um, but if you go to them and say, look, this is a loan and I'm going to be paying you back over time and you're going to be getting interest on that um, as I do that, then suddenly your friends and family and that community is going to put together even more resources, even more money um, to be able to support your business. And so you can really leverage those relationships um, to have a successful uh, campaign and get that investment that you need um, to grow your business. And, and do you folks encourage that or at some level require do. that? Do you require that involvement? I know some of the micro loans I talked to Eric about, there's a, I think there's a requirement that you have a certain amount from friends and family that initially that before you get a loan, the larger yes, loan. We, we require that participation. Um, we think it is a really great way of gauging that level of community support for your business. Um, we, you know, typically target 20%. Um, if we're working with a farmer um, who's coming from an under-resourced and underserved community, um, we're happy to sort of adjust that requirement. The, really the key thing we're looking for um, is pretty broad-based participation, right? If you're a farm and your primary sales are the farmer's market and the CSA, um, you really rely on that public to provide the revenue that's going to make your business succeed. So if you can show us a lot of people participating in that fundraising campaign and providing you these loans, we know that you have that customer base and that support that you're going to need to grow and succeed into the future. Um, and then it, right, then it really is like you have this relationship with your local community who is supporting you, um, and it changes the way everyone thinks about that obligation. Um, so yeah, very much like a CSA as you describe it, right? Right. Um, and I add to that, Ryan, is, uh, you know, just speaking from my perspective of Kiva, there's a brand engagement element and that's a, a transactional way of putting it. But I mean, there, you know, I, I put in $25 into, uh, you know, a diversified vegetable farm. I think of that silly little 25 bucks every time I grab their product and I kind of grab their product because I want them to pay me back that, you know, 60 cents a month payment or whatever it was that participated in the loan. But, you know, what I see with a lot of the Kiva applicants is they get very nervous. Like I've never asked anybody for money before. I feel so much shame. And, you know, my experience when you ask people for money is they have one of two reactions. One is like, wow, thank, wow, hmm, I can't right now, but thank you for thinking of me. I'm, I'm honored um, that you would come to me for that. Woo. And then the other reaction is, okay, yeah, I'm looking for deals. I need a place to put it. I know you and I like you and I trust you. And then let's go. Um, and that you guys are offering market rate uh, on, on debt, uh, both for the borrower and the lender, not something that's concessionary means that, it, you know, if there's a, if I walked into a restaurant that I cared about and they were like, you know, invest in us or whatever, and I had a thousand bucks and then I was going to get 7% on that, you know, that, that might be an attractive thing. Yeah. And we, you know, certainly it is uh, something new for people to ask for money. Um, and there can be a little bit of uh, hesitation and just unfamiliarity with doing that kind of work. You know, we have a ton of resources for all of our borrowers to do that. You know, we've got a guide that we've written up to really walk them through how to do that. We have someone on staff whose job is to just walk people through that um, provide them that support. You know, we'll have weekly calls with people if they want um, to really see how that's going um, and make sure that they have the resources and the confidence that they need um, to really make those asks and do that kind of work. And we've never had uh, a farm that simply failed to, you know, hit some threshold in that fundraising and wasn't able to um, raise what they needed in order to move forward. That's great. Good to know. In closing, as I mentioned at the, at the outset of the, the discussion, finances, funding, cash flow, it's a big stressor for ag producers in, in all the islands. And probably in the top five, if, if not even higher, perhaps even the, the number one or number two stressor. So and maybe start with you, Eric, any, any closing 
thoughts related to um, to how to talk to, to our ag producers to perhaps help with some of that stress that they're feeling? You know, what I leave people with is this, this comment that um, help exi- you know, helps out there with the Small Business Development Center, the Kohal Center, lender, the bar- you know, the borrowing from steward is that, you know, where I see people really struggling with finances is they do it in isolation. And they, you know, they've done research. I could say the study if you want, where they, they give um, like farmers in India basic math problems during drought when they can't make ends meet. And then during time when they're, you know, during the monsoon where there's a lot of, they're producing all their rice or whatever. And like literally cognitive ability declines under stress. Um, and so the, it, um, a lot of the financial strains that I see with farmers are, it's the same stuff you read about in the news. It's their kids' college debt. It's inflation. Uh, inputs doubled uh, for a lot of the farms that I'm working with, like recently. Um, and it's, uh, you know, medical bills. And it's, so if they need support with like planning their business or budgeting between CTAR, the support organizations, um, to just reach out, I guess that would be the, that would be the comment I would have is to, to not, you're not going to solve it on your own at three in the morning. We thank Eric and Ryan for sharing details about funding and financial supports that may be available to those that are focused on regenerative agriculture in Hawaii. In our so surveys of over 400 ag producers in Hawaii, financial worries were high on their list, and so we hope these resources will prove useful in addressing that stressor. Just to circle back about sort of collaborative lending, that's always really great for folks to reach out and be working together. Um, one of the things we'd love to see is if our applicants and our borrowers are working with organizations like CTAR and other sort of technical service providers to get that assistance and business advising and working that out. The, the economics of agriculture are a lot crazier and more difficult than they used to be. Um, running a small farm is not just about growing the produce anymore. It's also the marketing and the sales and social media. And there are all of these additional aspects. And it's you know hard, if not impossible, um, for any one person um, to sort of be on top of all of those pieces. And so knowing that you're working with other organizations to get that support, um, just having that mentorship or someone to bounce ideas off of is really fantastic. And uh, you know, we look forward to continuing to work with both of you and with all of the, the farmers in Hawaii. Like it's a complete shame that traditional financing uh, is ignoring the need there on the island. And we would love to partner um, with so many of you to try to figure out how we can support the growth of those businesses. The intention of this podcast series is to create a safe space for respectful and inclusive dialogue with people from across a broad and diverse spectrum involved in growing and making accessible the food we share together. A diversity of voices, perspectives, and experiences can serve to deepen mutual understanding, to spark creative problem solving, and provide insight into the complexities of our agricultural system. If you, our listeners, have experiences with Hawaii agricultural ecosystems from small holder farms to large, even including multinational agricultural industrial companies, or anywhere in between, and you would like to share your story, please contact us. We welcome your voices and perspectives.